0: Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer.
1: Welcome into this edition of the Hat Soil Health Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer with Hoosierag Today, and today we're going to tackle the topic of manures and how they can be a big part of a nutrient management and soil health strategy for you. Indiana ranks among the nation's top producers of hogs, eggs, and turkeys and ranks first in the nation for duck production, and it's also the home to one of the largest and most innovative dairies in the nation. And with livestock production comes Manures and litters, and we certainly don't call them waste, and we will talk about that in just a moment. I've got a couple of experts on the line with me today, one being Gordon Smiley from Smiley Farms, the other being Kristen Whittington from Landmark Enterprises, and Gordon, let's start with you. Uh, You're a Decatur County farmer. Talk a little bit about your operation and and what goes on down there.
0: Uh, Brother Jeff and I operate the farm. We have been a uh, fair-to-finish operation for a number of years, uh we've had manure that we've dealt with for a long time, and uh, we have a cropping system of probably 1,200 acres, and so we try to get across the land about every three years or so with the manure that we have to uh, spread and dispense of.
1: Very good, Gordon. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Kristen, let's turn to you. Let's talk a little bit about Landmark Enterprises and what you do there and some of your past history as well.
2: Yeah, I started Landmark Enterprises as a initially as a land application and custom manure applicator business. As well as consulting, I've since sold off the custom in our application and kept the consulting business. I started the company as a follow-up to my tenure at the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, or IDEM, where I was the Ag Director and worked in conjunction with uh, livestock producers, as well as the agency, the regulatory body of these livestock farms.
1: Well, Kristen, let's let's start here. Why is it so important that folks use manure as opposed to uh, maybe some commercial fertilizers? What are the big differences that we're seeing there?
2: Well, I just think that there are some significant differences between manure and commercial fertilizer. Uh, commercial fertilizer has been a great source of nutrients for crops across Indiana and certainly the Midwest for a number of years. I think we as livestock producers have done a much better job in the last five to 10 years of utilizing the manure we have available and its nutrient content. We can, as crop producers, can certainly tailor the amount of manure that goes on the field based on what crop's there, what kind of soils we have, what kind of land application equipment we have, and tailor that to the crop we're trying to grow.
0: I think that's a great point. One of the things that uh, with the GPS work that most of us are being able to use, we're actually using a drag line. And uh, you can, we have a meter in the, the tractor cab that's monitoring the amount of gallons that you're going on per acre. And so you tested that manure and you know that amount. And if you need, because of uh, previous soil tests, you can speed up or slow down in areas that uh, you need maybe more application or less. But between the GPS and the uh, monitoring equipment, we can be pretty darn precise with the manure and the liquid application form.
2: We certainly saw a changeover in the at the grower level, so at the crop producer level, about eight or 10 years ago with the ability to use some more technical equipment. So we can use GPSs, we can use other monitoring pieces like Gordon's talking about, and get this manure applied on the part of the field that most needs those specific nutrients. So by making those decisions prior to land application of the manure, we can really tailor to get the most productivity we can out of
0: our crop. Uh, the micros is a, it would be another area that, in other words, we all know in Monero, we're feeding those animals to precision and things, but we get a lot of micros that wouldn't be necessarily in a commercial fertilizer of just a, an NP or a K. So those micros are very helpful. One of the things we've noticed over the years comparing to commercial application is that we'll have much higher copper readings in our soils than many other folks with this commercial, but that copper comes from adding it to the diets over the years. So that's just one example.
1: This is the HAT Soil Health Podcast presented by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, Kristen Winnington on the line with Landmark Enterprises, and also Decatur County Farmer Gordon Smiley of Smiley Farms. And and I mentioned it in the open, Kristen, and you just mentioned a lot of big uh, reasons why manures are so important. It's not waste. Some people call it waste. Uh, and, and that's certainly not the case.
2: It's certainly not the case. I My family's been farming for uh, eight or nine generations here in Indiana. The way manure is looked at now versus how it was initially um, back when my great-grandfather had hogs um, is certainly different. We know that there's value in that manure. And to the crop farmer as well as the livestock guy, it's already paid for. So utilize it for the positive resource that it is. Gordon mentioned the micros. There are micronutrients in that manure. So we might be paying for it as a commercial fertilizer. We're going to pay for the amount of nitrogen or N or the amount of phosphorus or the amount of potassium. In a manure, we've got a complete package. So we can cross the field once, but utilize the complete package of N, P, and K, as well as those additional micronutrients and to enhance the soil productivity based on all those final pieces.
0: Yes, well, I totally agree about the micros and the other things. Uh, one of the things that we have done incorporated in the last six to seven years, we've actually incorporated some cover crops with the manure application with the drag line. And, uh, we went to no-till and even with the uh, drag line that we're using, which is rolling cutters, uh, and, just, and we've been able to continue our no-till progress and with the application and, uh, really feel like what we're doing, it's a win-win situation. The cover crops are taking up a lot of those nutrients over the winter time of ap- or after application, whenever it may be in spring or fall. And so that's another form of being able to get those nutrients utilized and get them in the soil so we don't have to worry about runoff or anything like that.
2: As we finish up harvest this time of year and and get ready for manure application, in some parts of the state manure application certainly is in full swing, these livestock barns are designed so typically manure is applied once a year or twice a year. It doesn't have to be done every month. But as we get that manure applied on these fall harvested fields, Cover crop can then be put in, and so that cover crop utilizes those nutrients. It can take them up in its roots to create, essentially, a grocery store, if you will, for the corn plant that's going to be there next spring. Cover crop is going to hold those nutrients where they've been placed within the soil, and then once the cover crop is killed off, it becomes a grocery store piece for the corn plant that's going to follow it.
0: We did a a test last year, uh, about the third week of November, the cover crops were growing, did a tissue test on the cover crops, applied the manure, Done another tissue test approximately 10 days later, uh, just trying to see what that cover crop was doing. And it actually increased the uh, nitrogen percentage in that plant 7% in those about 12 days between, uh, as soon as we applied it to when we took the test right prior to some really cold weather. So that was just another guide to us that uh, the cover crop's taking it up.
2: And I think those cover crops, as well as putting the manure in subsurface, uh, allow for some nitrogen stabilization in the soil. The cover crop certainly holds that nitrogen in the soil profile at the root level. Um, There is not a requirement in Indiana that manure is injected or put in subsurface. Most of producers are putting it subsurface using a drag line or some other you know tanker for injection just because it helps maintain that nitrogen and stabilize it within the soil at the root level for the planned crop.
1: Now, Gordon, I want to go back to you mentioned the no-till uh, and the cover crops. Since we've been doing this podcast, we get questions often from folks about how do we start this process of cover crops? How do we start... Uh, because a lot of people really don't know the best place to do it can you tell us about your story and why you decided to go 100 percent no-till and and with the cover crops
0: well really i guess we were looking at from soil erosion and uh, being able to be hopefully when we're all said and done with our generation that you know we we make it as well or better and uh we've looked at the creeks and we want them to be clear you know and the cover crops indicated to us from what we saw that the creeks are actually running more clear than what we were prior to doing the tillage work. And so I guess that was the first thing is we wanted to save our natural resource. And the second thing is that uh, we think the cover crops actually, when they take up the nutrients, whether it be by commer- commercial fertilizer or manures, that uh, when it dies, it's in a more stable form. So I would encourage anybody that to try it. You know, start small. If you want to just use oats and plant those in the fall early on, oats are going to die. You don't have to fight it in the spring. And as you get more experience, then you could take a cover crop like a rye, a rye or a barley that's going to survive all winter. And then uh, you have it in the spring to be able to either work it in, spray it down to kill it. Uh, there's different options there. But that would be that would be an initial start up there
1: and you can apply the manure either before or after the cover crops are established. What is it that you prefer to do?
0: Uh, our preference is that we go ahead and get the cover crops established immediately after the combine as close as we can. Now, if you are aerial applying it applying, of course, in August, that's another way, but we like to get it established with a drill on a seed and soil contact, and then we'll give it a couple, three weeks, hopefully get a little bit of growth on it. It's up and running, and then we'll put the and we'll put the drag line across the field. Uh, we just seem like we get a really good stand with that drill. And then we also, we think that if the cover crop happens to be four to six inches tall and you put manure on, it really also uh, takes that odor and just basically settles it down to the earth because the the wind really is not down there expecting it. And it's just another way for us to be a good neighbor.
2: Well, I think one thing Gordon and his brother have kind of led the way in at least central Indiana is knowing that they can go back on that established cover crop and apply manure. Even though they're a part of a no-till system, that injection of manure still falls within minimal disturbance of the soil. And that cover crop is there to help so- hold the soil in place, but the roots have started to establish to be able to take that those nutrients from the manure immediately. But in the tests that they've run, And the crop, uh, the fields I've seen of theirs, that cover crop is not disturbed that much, even though we're injecting manure on top of it. Because it's such a small plant size, um, those plants just come right back.
0: One of the things we've been able to do is kind of, it's worked really well for the last three years. We've actually been, we double crop some uh, soybeans after barley, and we've actually been able to apply manure into a standing soybean crop after it's probably five to six inches tall, and drive across there with a a drag line into the standing soybeans, get an application there in the summer, utilize that manure very quickly, and uh, also really do minimal damage to that soybean crop. So it's just, it opens up the window with that drag line and possibly being able to apply that with the with the rolling applicator.
1: This is the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Gordon Smiley, a Decatur County farmers on the line, and so is Kristen Whittington with Landmark Enterprises, a full service consulting firm for livestock producers, including Smiley Farms. Uh, Kristen, let's talk a little bit about for our considerations and just as a, you know, kind of a reminder, right fertilizer source at the right rate at the right time and in the right place, the four R's for uh, nutrient stewardship. What are some of the four R considerations with using manure over other options?
2: Well, I think manure certainly comes with a complete package when you compare it looking at commercial fertilizers. We've got N, P, and K values in there, as well as the micronutrients, as well as some organic matter. um, And in the the source of poultry litter, you can also have some uh, bugs, if you will, that will help with soil compaction and certainly can increase the organic matter in those soils that they're applied to. We can tailor rate much more specifically than we could 10 years ago. We've got GPS equipment in manure applicator uh, tractors and units. That's very specific, so we can get manure where it needs to go on the correct soil with the correct amount of, of values. Timing can be a challenge with manure because we it's, it becomes more difficult to put it on a standing crop, but certainly with the cover crops and some of the work that the Smiley brothers have done, they can show that we can drag line into standing soybeans, we can drag line into standing cover crop, which allows those nutrients to get where they need to go specifically
0: i would encourage people to, you know, the drag line is the one thing that's really helped us reduce compaction also uh be able to you know as you, you experiment it's not that you get back into a corner and you have to do something on an emergency basis but if you try something be proactive in and trying and to something experiment we didn't we didn't really think the soybean thing would work initially and we did it on a limited basis but we found that it's been very positive and so i would encourage others to you know, the look about that, where it could be pasture ground that you could apply that to with a drag line too. You know, so uh, expand and look outside the box of, of different ways to utilize that manure as a great asset. And
2: when you talk about manure application, drag lines have certainly been a resource to get larger volumes of pit manure out to the larger volumes of crops. So we can go cover more acres in less time if we can pump that manure through a drag line. There are still a lot of operations across the Midwest that are using tankers. I've been able to encourage some guys that they can get a frack tank and essentially create a drag line system at the field level so that you're not limited based on how much time it takes for the truck for the tanker truck to get from the field back to the barn and then return. But you can create your own short drag line at the field level, which then allows you to limit your compaction levels it allows you to be more efficient from a time management standpoint.
0: I think that's an excellent point, Chris, that you raise up. In other words, you can even if you have acres that's somewhat far away, the people have been creative and the frack tanks has allowed that to be able to utilize it in a, in a, a more user friendly on your acres that you have. And I think that's a, a great point that, that people learning how to expand it.
2: And I think that there there's a lot of creativity that can be done from an injection bar standpoint. I know when we were com- commercial applicators that we did a lot of experimentation on on tillage tines, uh, whether it be rolling bars or uh, shovels, some of those other specifics. Soil type practices, horsepower, certainly from a tractor, can dictate how those work best. And just because it works great for one producer does not mean it's that same setup for another producer because you might be in a different soil type base. It might be because you want to, you know, certainly want to inject in standing alfalfa, which can be done. Those pieces of equipment are just as specific to from a farm level and a manure applicator level as they are for you know, drilling soybeans.
1: Again, this is the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. And uh, I'm with Kristen Whittington, the uh, owner and operator of Landmark Enterprises, and also Gordon Smiley, Smiley Farms in Decatur County. And, and Gordon, I just want to you know, ask this. Uh, how important is it to have a resource like Kristen to be able to help you through some of these things? Uh, obviously, you've been at it for a while, but uh, uh, how, how has that relationship worked and how important is it to what you're doing?
0: Oh, it's huge to have somebody good on your team, and Kristen's really, really good on your team, and so she's been a great asset. Now, she brings a lot of great ideas from other producers that, uh, you know, that we, she was one of the ones that encouraged us to talk about as we talked about the drag line going away from the tank as far as compaction and trying things, and so these are kind of, those people are just indispensable to us as some as one thing. We have uh, Grizzly Ridge and Rick Scranton down here as a as a consultant also, and Rick's been very helpful in us in doing the cover crops and kind of the marriage together with the manure. And so we've all three or four of us worked together as a team. And so it's, it's really been good to have somebody that's uh, open-minded and, and we shall share ideas. I mean, we, we all make mistakes. And so as long as they don't make a huge mistake, that's fine. But we, we've made mistakes along the way that didn't work out, but that's okay. That's how, that's how we learn.
2: We certainly appreciate the opportunity to work with producers across the state. Uh, a large percentage of our business here at Landmark Enterprises is focused on the swine industry. We certainly do have several turkey operators that we work with as well in the southern part of the state. But we want to bring value to the producer level. We want to be able to answer your questions. We want to be able to let you focus on what the producers focus on, what the producer does well. We can just bring some of the regular, regulatory side and some specifics for how to manage things from a paperwork standpoint, as well as present ideas that are working at other parts of the states to again, let the farmer do some specifics that will work best on their operation. I think
0: one of the things that we as a farmer have to be able to do is we need to be proactive and we we are doing a good job and we have to sell ourselves that we are. One of the things that we've done uh, for the last four or five years is we take, we'll take we take uh, a water sample out of a pile that we've applied manure to uh, a couple, three weeks after we've played manure, and we'll put that sample, we get it, and we send it off, and basically it's part of our history. And if anybody's questioning what we're doing or anything like that, it, 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 we have a record of it. And then, in other words, uh, if somebody's going to point the finger at us and think that we have a problem, we have we have information that proves that what we're doing. And so we're very proud of what we're doing, but we also have information to back that up.
2: And I think certainly when you go back to manure application, that it it is a business that's not understood by a lot of the general public. So the general public certainly has questions. And I encourage producers to answer those questions directly or if they want to have myself or some of, want a member of my team to go out and talk to, to the general public or neighbors to answer questions, show them what we're doing. I think most producers really are doing the right thing, but we have an education piece that all of us need to be involved in. Talk to your neighbors, talk to, people at church, talk to people you're on an airplane with. So there's a greater understanding that we are doing things like the four R's to better utilize manure as its nutrient source that it is.
1: Kristen, if folks have questions, how can they get in touch with with you and with Landmark Enterprises?
2: Well, certainly they're welcome to call me or our office. We're based out of Columbus, Indiana. It's Landmark Enterprises. And we have a website of www. LE, the number 4AG.com stands for Landmark Enterprises for Agriculture. Um, our office number is 812 799 3529. I'll be happy to help producers with projects or certainly talk to other individuals. Encourage your local, uh, whether it be swine producing group or local ag based companies, to answer questions provide resources. I speak uh, across the state. I've been invited from everything from an optimist group to a Sunday school class, to a group of livestock producers that want information on how to handle a neighbor that just doesn't understand or wants more information. And I'm more than happy to be that resource.
1: Gordon, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today on the Hat Soil Health podcast podcast. And uh, Gordon, best uh, of luck to you as you close out this harvest season, get that manure out there. Hopefully the weather starts to cooperate with you. Thank you very much. That does it for this edition of the Hat Soil Health Podcast. My thanks to Kristen Whittington and also to Gordon Smiley. Put these dates on your calendar, December 11, 12, and 13. We will be at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. Demonstrations will be going on throughout the expo, including from NRCS, Doing some conservation demonstrations as well and the next hat soil health podcast will be recorded live on location from the indiana farm equipment and technology expo if you have questions we would love to hear them stop on by Get more details at indianafarmexpo.com. You can also pre-register while you're there. My thanks to the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative for presenting today's podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's most listened to farm network.